The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church Age study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC8. This is Secret Church 8, Episode 4. Third, laws regarding tithes and offerings. There's a whole subset under here, too. Talking about tithe, which literally means a tenth part, a tenth. But reality is there were three different types of offerings that are mentioned here. And the Israelites ended up giving more than just 10%. When you total it all up, well, we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. The picture was tithes and taxes. Now, the people of God, Israel, some of the money they were giving would be more equivalent to what you and I give when it comes to taxes today. It's for civil use, for government-type use. Tithes and taxes given to, first of all, support the priests and the Levites. Give a tenth to support the priests and the Levites. It's Numbers 18. So the first most important offering, give first and your best for religious purposes. Second, tithes and taxes were given to provide for community celebration. See that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And then third, to help the poor and the needy. Every third year, this tithe would be given to a local storehouse, to be distributed to the Levites and then those who are poor and marginalized. That's Deuteronomy chapter 14. So when you add it up, you've got two tithes every year, then one tithe, it's done every three years. And so the total tithe was about 23% per year when you total it up. Total tithe, two and a third, basically. And then the tithe, catch this, was only the beginning of their giving. That's not all. That's not the whole story on Old Testament giving. In addition to the tithe, the Israelites would also give first fruit offerings to offer the best to the Lord. This is something that was taken off, to, off the top. The first production of a vineyard, Leviticus 19. Exodus 23, grain, wine, olive oil, wool, the, the top. First fruits, the first fruits of the harvest you would give as an offering. And then in addition to the first fruits, there were free will offerings. They were given to offer excess to the Lord. Voluntary contributions that went beyond the, the tithes, went beyond the first fruits. They were given free will offerings. It says whose heart was moved to give, Exodus, 20, Exodus 35, verse 29. So in all these gifts, tithes and offerings, follow this, were reminders of God's absolute ownership of all things. God was training his people to remember that he owned it all. And it belonged to him. And so they set aside their first and best because it was a reminder. It's not that God didn't own the other 90% or the other 77%. God owns it all. This was a reminder to them that God owns it all. It's a reflection of God's faithful provision for all of his people. This is how God provided for the priests, how God provided for the poor in some circumstance. And it was a reason Tithes and offerings were reasons to celebrate God's gracious blessing toward all of his people. You know, oftentimes I hear people talk about Old Testament giving and they say, well, that was duty, that was law. This was joy. 
Now, it could turn into the other, but listen, listen to Exodus 36. They received from Moses all the contribution the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they... They had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Huh. Like, oh, for that day in the church, like, you have given too much. Like, just stop. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop, stop. Like, we've got more than enough. Like, what a great day. So, anyway. That's not like dutiful, like law. That's that's joyful obedience to the law and free will giving. Laws regarding social justice. Next type of law. We got tithes and offerings, social justice. There were general laws that provided, uh, that were concerned with providing for the needy, provide for the needy. This is how, uh, you had laws that were set up for the harvest to help the poor. It's how Ruth and Naomi were able to, to set up romance with Boaz. <laughs> And then you had laws regarding sacrifices for worship, that if you, if, you couldn't, if you were more wealthy, you were expected to give these kind of sacrifices. If you were poor, then there were lesser sacrifices, that there were less expensive sacrifices that you would give, Leviticus chapter 14. So in his law, God was providing for the needy. He was protecting the needy, protect the needy. God set up so that aliens or foreigners, orphans, widows would not be mistreated. God set up laws to avoid partiality. Avoid favoritism. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Don't spread a false report. And then God set up laws aimed to eliminate poverty. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 15.4. There will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land the Lord is God, God is giving you as inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. And then in Deuteronomy 15, 11, a few verses later, it says, they will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needing the poor in your land. The goal was no poor among you. And we're supposed to work toward that at all times, but open-handedness. Now in the law, a little, little change of pace here, God also told his people to work. God told his people to work. He told them to do spiritual work, Deuteronomy 6, but physical work. Your heart shall not be begrudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. You got to work here. God told his people to work and God gave his people wealth. Now this is key. This is where we often go when it comes to Old Testament possessions. God promised material blessing to his people as they obeyed him. The key is though, and you read Deuteronomy 8, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but you read in there and you see that it's not that they were earning it, it was still God's generosity. But God was blessing his people as they obeyed him. So God's giving material possessions as they obey him according to his grace. Know therefore the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness for you're a stubborn people. According to his grace he's giving it to advance his glory. You look at Deuteronomy 11, you look at Deuteronomy 4, you see that God God is giving his people possessions so that they would be a demonstration to other nations around them of the goodness of God. It's not intended to be an end in and of itself. Possessions are given for a purpose. 
That's the picture of, of the, the law. Okay, now kings in Israel his, Israel's history. Kings in Israel's history. The purpose of wealth. We look at the kings. We see that God is giving wealth in part. And I would even say in large part. But in part to build a place. And that place is the what? It's the temple. You look in 1 Kings chapter 8. You see that's, that's an ornate description of the temple. And you see all, listen, listen to the beginning of 1 Kings 8, verse 62. The king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered his peace offerings to the Lord, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Like that's a lot of animals. One day, like it's a lot of fluffies. So one day. Okay. So, sorry, I just brought up a wound from earlier. I apologize. The purpose of wealth, to build a place and to prosper a people. Build a temple, a place for worship and sacrifices, and prosper a people. You read 1 Kings 10. This is a very important passage. Queen Sheba, a pagan queen, comes to visit Solomon and and basically her, her conclusion is, she says, bless, right in the middle of this passage, blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And the picture is a pagan queen giving glory to God as, as she sees the goodness and the greatness of God on display here. Pagan king, queen giving glory to God. At the same time, we see the danger of wealth in the kings. Wealth leads to idolatry. This is most evident in Solomon's life. I mean, the next chapter after 1 Kings 10. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, and it goes on. His wives turned away his heart. 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And this whole picture of idolatry that wealth brought. I mean, Solomon built, this is right after this picture we see in 1 Kings 10, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. So he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. There's, you know, we, we talk about Solomon and God's blessing on Solomon and his wealth. And wealth has a very, very dark side here in Solomon's life. It leads to idolatry. It results in immorality. We see this in kings like, like Ahab in 1 Kings 21 there. And we see it's interesting when Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls around the temple. He is very concerned to make sure to avoid immorality and to use money for that which God has intended it to be used. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6 and 10. So there's a danger in wealth. The responsibility of wealth we see in the kings. The wealthy should live wisely. In one of the bright moments in Solomon's life, instead of asking God for wealth, he asked God for wisdom. We see the primacy of wisdom over wealth. The wealthy should live wisely. The wealthy should give generously. There's a powerful moment under David's leadership. Listen to these free will offerings. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. They were giving, giving. That's the whole picture we see in Nehemiah chapter 5 as Nehemiah is modeling generosity. 
Then finally, the nature of wealth. In the Kings, we see the nature of wealth. Kind of sum this whole picture up. Wealth is not always a reward for obedience. This is important. There are times when Israel's kings are wealthy, but it's not because their hearts are close to God. Their hearts are far away from God, and sometimes they're wealthy. So we can't equate wealth with obedience in the Old Testament, particularly in the kings or anywhere else, the patriarchs as well. Wealth is always not, a, not always a reward for obedience. And second, poverty is not always a punishment for disobedience. There's times when we see the people of God suffering and it's not a result of disobedience. We see that in, in the prophets during the times of the kings. Very difficult times. But it's not because of their disobedience that they are suffering and impoverished. Wealth, in the end, this is the lesson of the kings. Wealth can be used for both good and evil. Good or evil. David and Solomon both use wealth wisely at times and unwisely at other times. They bring glory to God sometimes with wealth, bring dishonor to God other times. Wealth used for both good and evil. Okay, Psalms and wisdom literature in Israel's history. Truth from Job. You know the overview in Job, which remember happened in the time of the patriarchs. Job suffers as a result of obeying God. So we can't look to the patriarchal times and say, well, during that period, God was blessing obedience with possessions. Job's life shows us faithfulness to God does not guarantee prosperity in this world. Job was righteous. He was even giving to the poor. And he experienced suffering. Faithfulness to God does not guarantee prosperity in this world. That's Job. Next, truth from Song of Solomon. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the official date night portion of Secret Church for all who are desiring a little romance here, here we go. This is, this is good. As it relates to possessions, the beauty of marital love reflects the goodness of the material world. Catch that. The whole, the whole book of Song of Solomon is showing us, Song of Solomon is showing us the beauty of marital love, but the images are re- reflection of the goodness of the material world. I compare you. My love to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with strings of jewels. That's apparently a good thing. And it's things that are used to depict that. Song of Solomon 4. Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves beyond your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I, like I know, like chills are going down your back. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Like, all your teeth are there. <laughs> like, when was the last time, man, like you looked at your wife and you're trying to think of a way to tell her how beautiful she is and the first thing that came to your mind was you have all your teeth I love that about you (laughs) you definitely should not have gone to a movie tonight like this is so much your lips are like a scarlet thread your mouth is lovely your cheek are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil your neck is like a tower. (laughs) 
built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And if you know, we're stopping at verse 4 for a reason. You include verse 5 here, and you've got to put like PG-13 on the secret church booklet. All right. Kind of makes you want to camp out there longer. So, all right, moving on. Truth from the Psalms. Other wisdom literature in Psalms. Truth from the Psalms. In the Psalms, obviously, Psalms worship to God. So you've got the revelation of God in the Psalms. And we see God's character. Amidst economic injustice, God is just. He's praised for his justice, for upholding the righteous. Amidst desperate need, God is compassionate. 33 different Psalms the poor are prominent in. The poor, the weak, the oppressed, those in low position. God is compassionate toward them. The needy shall not always be forgotten. They're not forgotten by God, Psalm 9. Reminders for man. In the Psalms, wealth is fleeting. Make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. This is a picture. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. This is a picture. Wealth is fleeting. Debt is dangerous. It's a picture in Psalm 37. So it's just, we're kind of browsing over the Psalms there. That leads us to truth from Proverbs. Now, Proverbs, probably no section in the Old Testament that is, contains more explicit material about wealth and probably no section in the Old Testament that is more abused in discussion of possessions in our day. Remember, Proverbs are always, that's why we talked about this stuff earlier, situation specific. These are not these universal truths or these lucky charms that if you do this, this will always happen. Miscellaneous truths. Wisdom is more important than wealth. We've seen that before. That's how Proverbs opens up to remind us of that. Proverbs teaches us that righteousness is more important than wealth. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And humility is more important than wealth. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Humility. Now, again, that's one of those examples. Just because we humble ourselves doesn't mean we're going to be rich. That's not a universal promise there. The, it's, the point is, the insight is, humility is more important than, any, than, than riches or wealth. Um, get into some cautions concerning wealth in Proverbs. Wealth is fleeting. Do not toil to acquire wealth. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Man, that's a strong word. Keep the well, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. Wealth is fleeting, debt is dangerous. Various Proverbs sound the alarm against debt. Proverbs 6 talks about this. Proverbs 22, probably even a bit stronger. Not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Debt is dangerous. Proverbs teach that wealth is fleeting, debt is dangerous, hard work is valuable. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Whoever follows worthless pursuits lacks lacks sense. In all toil there is profit. Mere talk tends only to poverty. So stop talking and do something. Work, Proverbs says. Hard work is valuable. Helping the needy is vital. These are strong statements. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. 
You mock the poor, you insult God. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Do not rob the poor. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Those are strong statements. All those leading to these concluding thoughts. In Proverbs, don't miss this, wealth is attributed to both the righteous and the wicked. Look at Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So you got wealth here associated with the righteous and with the wicked. But then, in, in Proverbs 28, better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who's crooked in his ways. So you've got wealth in those first two associated with the righteous, and the last one, wealth is associated with the wicked. Same way, poverty is attributed to both the righteous and the wicked. Sometimes we see the righteous described as having little. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So it's good to have little with righteousness. And then we see, after that, the foolish man being impoverished. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So on a whole, wealth and poverty are not good, accurate gauges of righteousness or unrighteousness. The only thing we really see that's pretty clear, and we've seen this at other points already, extreme wealth and extreme poverty both appear undesirable in Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Extreme wealth, extreme poverty, both appear undesirable. Then you've got Ecclesiastes, probably the most powerful expose of materialism ever written. And the whole message of Ecclesiastes summed up in, in these two verses. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that, all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Ecclesiastes, fairly depressing. Truth from Ecclesiastes. We learn that God's gifts are good. We see in chapter 3, chapter 5, that possessions are good in the context of, of, of closeness and intimacy with God. They're good. God's gifts are good. Second, the world is temporary. The world is temporary, passing away like a shadow. Ultimately, particularly in an eternal perspective, Ecclesiastes teaches that riches do not satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, 5, 10 through 15. Listen to this. He who loves, lo- loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. These are some truths. These are, Alcorn brings these out in Ecclesiastes 5. I think they're so poignant. The more you have, the more you want. You're not, if you love money, you'll never be satisfied with money. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. He says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The more you have, the more people, including the government, come after it. 
<laughs> the more you have, the more you realize it doesn't meet your real needs. You see people taking it from you. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. You can't sleep because wealth brings worry. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. There's grievous evil that I've seen. Riches kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches lost. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And finally, the more you have, the more you will leave behind. You're not going, you're going to leave this world with nothing. So let not the rich man be fooled. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. Fear God, follow his commandments, and see material possessions in a proper light. Finally, the prophets in Israel's history. What Israel had done with their possessions, the priests were immoral. You look at Malachi 1, 6 through 10 there, and the priests were, were offering cheap offerings. They were, did not measure up to the Laws that God had set out, but it was an easy way for them to gain a buck. And so the priests were immoral. The people were idolatrous. Their possessions became their gods, literally. Their land is filled with silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses. No end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. That day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. The people were idolatrous. They were oppressive of the poor. Oh, this is all throughout. Even, even when you get to uh, Ezekiel chapter 16 there. Is it 16? No, well, when, in Ezekiel when, when the prophet talks about how even the, the sin of Sodom looking back And yes, there was homosexuality, there was perversion, but there was also oppression of the poor that brings about the the judgment of God. They were oppressive of the poor. They boasted in their wealth. They boasted in their wealth. You know, there, there is so much in the prophets, evil and sinfulness associated with wealth. It's not impossible to be righteous with wealth in the prophets, but it is rare. It is extremely rare. Most, all of the pictures we see with wealth are associated with sinfulness. These kind of things, pride, boasting in what you have. And they miss the point of worship. Some of the fiercest words from God toward his people come in the context of talking about worship. In Jeremiah 7, Isaiah chapter 1, they miss the whole point. God says, stop bringing your meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. So what did Israel need to do? Israel needed to lament over their sin. Lament over sin. We've got a whole book called Lamentations. Then you've got Jeremiah 7, Joel 1, Amos 5. Lament over your sin before God. Seek justice for the needy. I love this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out, listen to this verse, 
If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Oh, that is beautiful. Care for the poor. Give to the poor and you will be like a watered garden and your satisfaction, your springs will never fail. Micah 6, poignant words that we're familiar with. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Lament over sin, seek justice for the needy. Practice, third, practice humble generosity. Humble yourself before God and then give to God. Malachi 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring it in. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. They were literally robbing God. And God says, I, I give to you. Just see, I will give you more than you open the windows of heaven. Trust Lament, seek justice for the needy, practice humble generosity, and trust the restorative promises of God. He will restore you. Just trust him, Ezekiel 34. Trust the restorative promises of God, and then catch this. This is going to bring us full circle from where we start in the Old Testament. Fulfill the redemptive purpose of God. Fulfill the redemptive purpose of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 66. Watch, watch this with me. You remember when God blessed Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, right? So look at where this comes around in Isaiah 66. I know their works and their thoughts and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory and I will set a sign among them. From from them, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish and these other places. They shall declare my glory among the nations. They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots. It goes on, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain and some of them also I will take for priests and Levites. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. God gives blessing for what purpose? For the purpose of his glory in all the nations. That's why we've got to see blessing, even material blessing in that context. God gives blessing to his people for his glory among all the peoples. That's where the Old Testament leaves us in the prophets. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.